Welcome to the Arbitration Conversation with Amy Schmitz. Hello, and welcome to the Arbitration Conversation. So in this Arbitration Conversation, we're really going to focus on the future. We're going to think about the future of arbitration, dispute resolution, especially online dispute resolution and online arbitration, the role of technology and how that plays and sort of the evolution of the law, really, um, not simply of dispute resolution, but the law in general. And with us, we have a true leader who I've been following for a very long time. We have the editor of Legal Evolution, Bill Henderson. He is a professor of law at Indiana University Maurer School of Law, where he holds the Stephen F. Burns Chair of the Legal Profession. He's been a very prolific author and lecturer about legal market analysis. His industry accolades include the ABA Journal Legal Rebel Award in 2009, National Law Journal 100 Most Influential Lawyers in America in 2013, and National Jurist Most Influential Person in Legal Education in 2014 and 2015. On a personal note, I can say a lot more about all of the amazing work he has done. I will say I have followed um, Bill Henderson for a very long time and actually assign his materials um, and things that he's written, especially because he's been so forward thinking about the legal process. So Bill, thanks for taking time with me. Amy, thank you so much for that generous introduction. So what we want to talk about today is kind of bottlenecks. Right. So why is it? I mean, we talk about legal evolution. We talk about all these great ideas about using technology in order to expand access to justice. We talk we hear a lot about sandboxes and legal sandboxes and design thinking and dis digital dispute system design and all these different ways that we might be able to even use AI and data analytics to even help with just helping access to justice and opening up new ways to practice law. So why is it that it's still like we're kind of going uphill against the wind. I mean, what, what are these, what, what do you think? I mean, there's bottlenecks. It seems like we've got the technology. It's getting better and better every day. Why is access to justice such a challenge? Oh, oh well, the, the, you're asking the hardest, best uh, question uh, uh, first. I think that, that uh, we are, we are uh, in, the, in a transition period that's going to last uh, I thought it would last five or 10 years when I naively uh, first thought about it, but now I suspect it's going to last for two full generations of humanity makes it that, that uh, long. There's some urgency along the way. Uh, moving from a one-to-one -one consultative uh, model, which is which is the, the a kind of a coherent view, view that's in, reinforced by pop culture, that students come to law school thinking about courtroom practice or or or, or transactional uh, practice to, to a... Uh, to a practice that's more one to many, uh, and it's and there's a lot of heterogeneity in there. I mean the, the uh, and that uh, this is a paradigm change, and uh, and it's it's driven by the need. It's 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 happening slowly. It's taking root just because there's so much legal complexity in the in the world that at the kind of the consumer level, all this complexity at a consumer price point can only be brought about through. Uh, through uh, uh, leveraging technology. Uh, and uh, there's so much uh, 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 complexity at the corporate end that you just can't pay associates to do it by the hour. There needs to be systems that are put in place and leveraging process, leveraging data, leveraging uh, uh, technology. And we're, 
we're we're in the middle of or in the and the kind of the early days of that uh, uh, transition, and uh, but it's a paradigm shift, and and um, and I think that you know going back to uh, 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 Thomas Kuhn's uh, 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 scientific revolutions uh, work, uh, generally the old guard gets has to kind of cycle out. Uh, because the, 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 uh, it's a big challenge to learn a new way of, uh, of doing business or a new way of, of, of practicing a profession or a trade. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, kind of the young guard comes in and they're open to new ideas and they can spend their whole idea leveraging these new ideas. And so I think this is a generational uh, phenomenon. It's happening. It just, you know, for those, for people like you and me that, that we saw at mid-career that this uh, need for change and opportunity to change here. Uh, you know, you know, our job is to is to get the ball rolling, but it's it's going to finish up uh, after our retirement, unfortunately. Yeah, you know what's interesting when you were talking, I'm thinking about arbitration in particular, um, and you know, one of the problems with arbitration um, or something that makes it difficult to evolve is that arbitrators. So when you know, it's selection of the parties, right? So the parties get to select. The arbitrator and so they're always going to select or at least the tendency is to select arbitrators that they've used before and that they know and that have been around a really long time yes so how do we evolve in the world of arbitration to bring it into the digital age i mean i think covid helped to a large extent in that it kind of forced people to use technology a little bit more than they would have otherwise at least i think it introduced um new people to zoom for example for yes. their arbitrations but now you know we're starting to see you know, people kind of go back to the way they did it. And of course, a lot of arbitrators are also retired judges. And so there's a lot of kind of the formality. Do you have any thoughts, though? I mean, and you're right, the cycle out, but is there anything without cycling out? Like, are there ideas or thoughts? Because yes. I mean, that's kind of a sad, right? Yeah. Like cycle out. What does that mean? You know, well, actually, <laughs> well I mean, I, I guess that that, that that's you're, you're really making a, a really great uh, a point because uh, uh, you know broadly when you're looking at kind of a, a new way of doing things it's going to take a couple of generations but 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 within any any much 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 shorter period of time uh, people have good ideas and they get it adopted within a kind of a, a social uh, uh, system and arbitrators would be a social system uh, servicing particular types of, uh, of, of of disputes and if somebody comes up with a a better way of doing something uh, it will get it Adopted. Now, uh, I, I guess I would want to point, I'm really grateful that you, you referred in the introduction to me being editor of Legal Evolution. When I started Legal Evolution in 2017, I did a series of posts. If you go to the about page of legalevolution.org, and it talks about the founding of Legal Evolution. And those, all of those foundational posts that are listed in the about page are about diffusion theory. And diffusion theory is a way to speed up uh, uh, beneficial uh, uh, innovations. I mean, you know, diffusion theory is a broad field of social science, uh, interdisciplinary that has geography, economics, political science, anthropology. Uh, it, it's a multidisciplinary field, and it and it's applied research to do things in the kind of like the public health realm or the education realm to to try and speed up ideas that really can benefit humanity and and make the world a better place. And really. Uh, there's five factors, uh, you know, that, that are that are that are isolated uh, regarding uh, that, that I, I actually don't want to uh, summarize here 
attempt to do it uh, live, but point people to those foundational posts, uh, post number three, post number four, post number eight, uh, 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 post number 11. Uh, and those really talk about uh, what you need to do to get an innovation to get, uh, you know, adopted. And, uh, you know, you and I had a really interesting conversation uh, in prepping for this with uh, that brought along Colin Rule. And that was a really, you know, what he did with eBay and PayPal uh, for dispute resolution, you know, was an example of, a, of an innovation that got adopted very quickly because it had a huge relative advantage uh, for the, uh, you know, for its users and its users were, were familiar with, you know, with doing things online anyway. So it, there was a kind of a cultural compatibility element to, to it. It was simple to use. And so follow the, 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 the basics of diffusion theory and we will get, we will, we'll chalk up a bunch of wins in our lifetime, Amy. Yeah. You know, I love that. I love um, diffusion theory and thinking about, you know, I've even used that in faculty um, changes, because if you want to sort of come, uh, you know, change the norm yeah, right, yeah. in order to evolve while well, faculty yeah. are a great example, right, where sometimes you do, you have to really be scientific about it to make change. It's not just going to happen on its own. I mean, I think that's part of the message we should maybe talk about, especially when it comes to access to justice. You know, I mean, we do have a broken system in many ways in the sense that many don't have access to lawyers and then it makes it very hard for them to actually get justice. And And we think about um, different ideas and ways, but if they're different than the norm, you really do have to think about these guideposts. You do have to disrupt, right? And I think that that is a really important takeaway. You know, it's easier when, for example, the eBay is a great example, um, but there it's, a different type of organizational change yeah. because yeah. you number one they own paypal so they also own the enforcement mechanism which i think you know made it easier within ebay and we've had that challenge ongoing with in the world of online dispute resolution um for many years you know in working with colin and working with others who have been um, immersed in ODR. I know way back when, oh my goodness gracious, I thought, well, surely people are gonna wanna do this because it's more efficient and they're gonna save money. And we had a whole um, working group with um, United Nations, UNC Trial Working Group 3. And um, that's, uh, Colin and I were both appointed experts for it in uh, 2012. And uh, we thought, what a great idea for cross-border dispute resolution in e-commerce. And, you know, again, we're like, you're in e-commerce. These are people already working with online contracts. They're going to be, this is great. We're going to help out um, small businesses that maybe can't build their own system like eBay could, because um, we're going to have this global system and it's going to be great for consumers, um, but it still fell apart. Um, so, you know, it kind of is a great example of how hard it is to make things change. Um, but you got to keep forging on and, and sort of thinking about those guideposts, you know, and disruptions. I also think, though, if we can look to specific examples and show that they're successful, I think it helps make the argument. I don't know. What do you think about that? I, 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 I completely agree uh, with uh, uh, with uh, that, a couple a couple things I wanted to uh, uh, to point out here is uh, one just just to touch on the diffusion theory uh, 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 point examples are really uh, are really how people learn here. They, it's basically most diffusion takes place by imitation. So you want a working prototype, 
and uh, you want to move uh, from there. Although there's other levers you can pull. By the way, it's it's post number 98 actually has a worksheet. So you can take any innovation and you can actually use the worksheet uh, in order to improve the innovation to increase its odds of getting uh, you know adopted. Uh, but picking up on your example of a, of a, uh, you know, I was excited to have this conversation because I wanted to briefly touch upon this point here. Just a, a good example would be the Civil Resolution Tribunal, which is an online dispute resolution in Vancouver that I think probably a lot of your listeners are are uh, are, are uh, familiar with. And uh, and uh, uh, one key thing is is that reason why that's been as successful as it has been is it's engineered lawyers out of the uh, system. Now. Uh, some lawyers may be horrified by that, but the reality is, is that uh, is that lawyers already can't make a living with a lot of the claims that are in uh, that are in, that are in uh, uh, general jurisdiction, state uh, level uh, uh, courts, and that there's a huge opportunity for the legal profession to to uh, to get behind these efforts here because we can't make a living doing these disputes, and you can use human-centered design principles uh, to to uh, really re restore access to justice and do what's sometimes referred to as pajama court, uh, you know, uh, make it available so that, you know, somebody with a sixth grade education, a smartphone can, can, can deal with their dispute because the system is designed uh, at their uh, level of, of, of problem and level of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of, of educational uh, level, but it's, it's, it, it's possible. The key I think is getting the infrastructure the end of the day here, I think what we need is giant pots of money uh, to build infrastructure, you know, and I'm, I'm happy to talk to you about that one, but I do think that building something that people can use and kind of take the infrastructure and plug it into their problem would be a huge step forward here. Uh, create a public good of this infrastructure uh, for dispute resolution uh, that's proven to be human-centered design and, 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 and make it available for all these jurisdictions that have these problems. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've known Shannon Salter, um, who was the chair in creating the Civil Resolution Tribunal from the very beginning, from before they even um, got it up and running. And I think what's important there is having the resources, having a champion, having a spokesperson. You know, when we talk about system design, having leadership, leadership is yeah. absolutely important. And I think Shannon is a great example of that. Um, she absolutely provided that leadership for um, the Civil Resolution Tribunal. And for the listeners, I have another piece that I think is important to note about the CRT is that it's different from other systems that are currently in place in many courts throughout the United States because it is homegrown, meaning they created their own code. And this is quite important because it gets to your question, Bill, about resources and having this really public service. And I think we're going to see a growth in this kind of open source idea and having more code available. The National Center for State Courts has been working on this for some time here in the United States, but I also want to mention the Cyber Justice Laboratory. So Ooh. the cyber, yeah, so the Cyber Justice Laboratory in Montreal actually predates the CRT. And uh, they created Parlay, which is being used in Montreal, and other systems that they've been working on. And their focus is on open source and creating more possibilities and more resources for online processes, and especially for self-represented litigants. And this is, uh, again, the Cyber Justice Laboratory in Montreal, and it includes mainly folks at the University of Montreal, but then also McGill, 
there in Montreal. In fact, there's a huge conference um, that I'll be part of next week in Montreal um, because I'm one of the researchers with um, one of their projects. Mm -hmm. So I just think it's really exciting because we're seeing this movement and right on the point you're saying, because I think we do need more. You know, we need to have more of these resources available. And quite frankly, infrastructure. I think COVID really shed a light on the lack of yes. access to technology and access to the internet. It is crazy. If you can actually, I had a speaker in my class this week and we were doing mapping where you can see maps of different states in parts that are just a desert. Like there's just no access to the internet. Um, we assume everybody has access, but they don't. Well, the, the this is the, the uh, during the, um, uh, depression we made it we made it a, a point to electrify the entire country you know and uh and, and by running lines even though it wasn't cost effective uh because because it was in our long-term interest to do so the the post office is based upon uh the u.s postal service is based upon that principle we're gonna get the, you can get deliver anywhere yeah and the, the cost of that of that infrastructure is borne by the country and i think that that this, this could be a longer conversation regarding a willingness to build uh, uh, government scale infrastructure, but but realistically, uh, it can either be done by the government uh, or alternatively, it could be done with uh, with uh, with uh, private foundation uh, money if it, if uh, if we could find the right funder and have the right team to to lead. Uh, the project because uh, it's a lot of money, but it, but the benefits are that you're, you're talking about five, six, ten x benefits, and the legal profession should be should be should be pushing for this because wouldn't it be wonderful if the legal profession got credit uh, for 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 a high quality ODR that made access to justice available to everyone, and and it w- we couldn't make a living at it, but but we but we made sure that the infrastructure got built as a profession. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's like step one, you know, (laughs) like as we're thinking about sort of changing the paradigm, you know, I think step one is making sure that everybody has. And then, of course, step two is making sure to design human centered design that's mobile friendly. It's got to be. I mean, mobile phones have democratized the Internet to some extent and that they have helped. I've done my own research, actually, just looking at access to the Internet. And many, many, many individuals do not have broadband access. They use their data plan and they use their cell phone. And so I think it's really important to create systems that make it easy to get remedies through your cell phone. I think that that's good. I think that, and it's doable. Yeah, uh, this is very doable. Uh, the. Um, uh, I, I won't out the state, but a friend of mine that's very active in access to justice pointed out uh, that if you actually visited all the county courthouses in her particular uh, state, which was roughly in the vicinity of about uh, 100, they were really falling into disrepair and they lacked the infrastructure and the staffing to be a portal uh, for people to visit. I mean, they, 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 you know, sometimes there weren't enough even lawyers in that jurisdiction to make the county, uh, but still the unit of justice was at the, it, it was at the county level. And, uh, and it's really terrible to see crumbling judicial infrastructure uh, without a plan to replace it with something that, uh, that, uh, uh, that works for the people. Yeah, that's such an excellent point. I'm sure you've seen it, um, the justice bust, right? We've seen this happening now in many states where they're essentially going mobile because of this crumbling infrastructure. Yeah, it's the, 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 and uh, this is the, this is a kind of a, uh, you know, because we don't have uh, uh, kind of a government uh, uh, 
you know, in the, in, in, in you think, for example, in the UK that they've made some some inroads on, mm-hmm. on liberalization of legal service market, but there's a there's a there's a there's a national level government that could be the sponsor for this, and to a certain extent understands that it's its role uh, to build the infrastructure, but. The peculiarities of the United States make it uh, much more difficult because we've got a federal and a state level and separation of powers uh, issues. And it just, you know, uh, as Lucy Rishi uh, recently, who was the executive director of Stanford Center on the Legal Profession, pointed out, he was like, who bears the cost of of, of regulatory infrastructure? We we don't have an answer to that question. No, no, it's such a great I mean, because the other thing. You know, Richard Susskind so famously um, talks about um, judicial process as in courts as a service, not a place. And I think if we really take that to the full extent on the future of access to justice, we have to think about it as a service that includes the use of technology, because that's the only way we're going to be able to make um, justice accessible to people, you know, truly accessible. And to think about also making sure it's ADA compliant and making sure that there's read, you know, there's so many things we can do using technology. I mean, think about how far natural language processing has come. I mean, there's a lot that we could provide. We have the technology, we've got the know-how. I mean, I'm sometimes amazed. I don't know if you've ever used the function in um, PowerPoint and in Zoom, you can have like your transcript, um, live transcription. It's very good. It used to be terrible, but now it's actually quite good. I love how pretty accurate, I mean, it's like almost 100% accurate. It's really getting much better. And I think it just is another example of how technology has become better. And so now we just need somebody, it gets back to the original um, point on leadership and making sure that there is there has to be a leader at the helm, otherwise these change just doesn't happen. Yeah, I, I, I the I went in like we were pointing, we were talking about Shannon Salter in in, in British uh, uh, Columbia. I, I did a write up of, of that case study. It's it's post number ninety nine legal evolution, but the, there were some political factors that aligned uh, that 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 made the CRT possible. But the, to your point, uh, those stars could have aligned if they didn't hand it to Shannon Salter, who had. Uh, this kind of level five leadership abilities here, I don't think it would have been uh, successful. But I think that folks like you and me and, and, and several others here, now that we see uh, that that the stars need to be aligned, we can push some of those stars in the right yep. direction and we can draft uh, a handful of our peers to be, you know, uh, the next gen, you know, you know, leaders. And, uh, and I think there's a growing awareness. I know Ohio State is 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 started to to emphasize leadership in its curriculum. I, I think that this is going to be part of our project is is teaching the, the 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 soft skills of leadership as well and management. Oh gosh, I believe that. So I love that you because I think law and leadership has been a passion of mine for a long time. Is thinking about within law schools and also a point you raised earlier and even talking about diffusion theory. I think um, another aspect is multidisciplinary. I think every law school has to be deeply connected to the rest of the university and there have to be more of these multidisciplinary i know for me it's technology and computer sciences and making sure that you're considering all these different areas because mm-hmm. in the real world and the leaders need to have need to work together we should not be siloed especially as a legal field well i yeah well i i i completely agree with that i want i want to give just a quick plug to to work that uh, that I, that I uh, did for the Institute of Future of Law Practice, just because it's it, it's 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 getting another uh, uh, life. We we ran the Institute for the Future of Law Practice 
putting law students in and kind of forward thinking legal service organizations and internships after giving us some foundational training. But uh, to your point about leveraging technology, we built a, an e-learning module that, uh, that, that'll be going live in a complete form at the end of the year through the Law Hub. It's, 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 Law Hub has uh, acquired uh, iFlip assets and, uh, and we finished building out the, uh, the modular unit, but it's, there's a, a, a one credit or it's basically, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a 10 and a half hour, could be a, a, law, a one credit law school course that has, uh, that talks about data or it has uh, online, uh, online uh, education uh, on, on first the overall uh, legal services market data process technology business operations and design with with experts in all those fields i did the first module on the legal services market and i gotta tell you amy it was so uh exciting to to, to use uh, to try and scale some of what the research that i've done here and make it shorter and easier for people to understand and so it's kind of like instead of putting out a play when I go to teach a class every 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 time I go to class here, I make a movie and the movie can be shown to 10,000 people and actually saves people a lot of time. They can do it at their convenience. And uh, I really felt like I learned a lot about adult education and that process. And I think that scaling some of this know-how so that it can be used as mid-career training in, in a highly you know engineered efficient way, that's that's a piece of the puzzle too. Oh, yeah. And I just want to congratulate you. I'm looking at it right now, actually. I'm looking at um, iFlip and, and the Institute. So everybody, Institute for the Future of Law Practice. I invite now, you to Now check acquired out. by the, the Law School Admissions Council. So that, oh, okay. My cool. colleague, uh, Kevin Colangelo, uh, runs that unit. Uh, he was the executive director of iFlip. He's now an LSAC employee. But but the, it, it, we put it in that home to scale it. Oh, I love that. Yeah, check that out. I mean, see, this is what we need more and more of this sort of thinking that's thinking outside the box moving forward. I love this. Yeah, so check that out, everyone listening to this podcast. Really cool stuff. Wow, and how that's evolved. So many different things that you've started up, Bill. I know um, you've got a meeting, got to run, I do too. But I, yeah. I just wanted to say um, thank you, first of all, for your service to the field and also just all of the really kind of exciting things you're doing. I don't know if there's anything else you want to be sure we include in this podcast. I, I just, uh, I'm grateful that, that to find somebody who, who, uh, whose level of enthusiasm is, is, is on par greater than mine. Amy, thank you for your service and everything you're doing, uh, you know, uh, for the broader profession and, and for your students at Ohio State. No, this is, and you as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by Arbitrate.com. For more information about Arbitrate.com's programs and content, please visit our website at www.arbitrate.com.